Articles by Desiring God Why Not Me? The Quiet and Consuming Eye of Envy Written and read by Greg Morse When I first began at Desiring God, a monitor hung on the wall in the office. Of many other useful functions, it showed our staff how many people were on the website in real time. If you looked at the smaller type at the bottom, you could see how many users were on particular pages. So for a new article published that morning, you might look over and see a few hundred people on the page. You could watch the numbers rise as the article spread and see a plateau a few hours later and begin to slowly decline. Over time, that monitor, like Sauron's lidless eye, came to stare at me. I watched as some of my articles were shot down mid-flight. By afternoon, the article dipped into the dozens. The warm tingle would wash over me in security. I worked hard on that article. I thought more people would read it. Is this really God's call on my life? I remember resonating with Shakespeare when he described man as not being able to feel what he owns, but by reflection. He meant that a man could not know himself to be what he thought himself to be unless others acknowledged it. Was I any good? I can only know by reflection. Warm admiration or high numbers on the screen needed to tell me so. If a writer publishes an article, but it doesn't receive any compliments, was it worth writing? The temptation begins to creep in. Will they be impressed? Will it be good enough to be envied? That screen not only showed me my own numbers, but others. I'm sure you can imagine the temptation. Dashboard, dashboard on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? Though not all writers, we all know the enticement, don't we? They may track different stats, but we all have our monitors. Sickly eye. What is envy? Envy, the favorite son of pride. The dark appetite that turns allies into enemies and angels into demons. Envy, the rival moon unable to share the sky with the sun for fear to discover itself to be the lesser light. Envy, the genesis of human murder, a sin of which Abel's blood still speaks. Envy, the disease that festers with God's blessings given to others. Envy, that bitter wind that chills the king's throne even after victory, as it hears the singing in the streets, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. When pride heard that song, the text tells us, Saul eyed David from that day on. The bloodshot eye on other successes, the inward grimace when others are better noticed, better complimented, or you hate to admit it, simply better than you at the thing that you're good at. Do you know that sickly eye that looks down upon brother's spear in hand and thinks, I will pin David to the wall? We all have our javelins. We have our ways of explaining why our rivals aren't really that talented or wonderful or beautiful or godly at all. Envy, the bewitchment that bids a man kill his brother or a man his God. Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Pilate once asked, for he perceived that it was out of envy 
that the chief priests had delivered him up. Mark 15, 9 and 10. Wisdom of Demons It was during that season of temptation that God gave me grace to do what my flesh protested. I took a brother aside one day and confessed to him my temptations to envy him in his recent success. It was a humbling, embarrassing, sin-slaying light. Are you tempted to envy anyone close to you? Consider confessing the temptation to them that you might war together against this demonic wisdom. And demonic is no hyperbole. The Apostle James writes, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James 3, 14 and 15. How do we resist? To answer, I want to bring in C.S. Lewis's fictional demon, Screwtape, to help us not with the diagnostic in which Lewis excels, but to guide us to the cure. In letter 14 of the Screwtape letters, the demon writes to his nephew, The enemy wants to bring the man to a state of mind in which he could design the best cathedral in the world and know it to be the best and rejoice in the fact without being any more or less or otherwise glad at having done it than he would be if it had been done by another. The enemy wants him, in the end, to be so free from any bias in his own favor that he can rejoice in his own talents as frankly and gratefully as in his neighbor's talents or in a sunrise, an elephant, or a waterfall. Don't you want that kind of heart? The kind that says with Moses, whatever your particular giftings, oh, that all were prophets, or oh, that all were mature mothers, powerful preachers, resourceful men living to the glory of God. To be like Paul, so about his master's business that he remarks of jealous ministers, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way they should be silenced? Only that in every way God should curse their ministries? No. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. O Lord, give us hearts like this. Doctrine of Gifts Given Screwtape goes on to highlight a doctrine that God has used in my life to bring down the monitors from the walls of my heart. The enemy will also try to render real in the patient's mind a doctrine, which they all profess, but find it difficult to bring home to their feelings, the doctrine that they did not create themselves, that their talents were given them, and they might as well be proud of the color of their hair. They might as well be proud of the color of their hair. Fellow Christians, your gifts, are you ready? Our gifts. You only and always exercise gifts from God and that for the building up of others. Whenever you begin to think that you really are something after all, ask Paul's question. What do you have that you did not receive? 
If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Engraved over our best successes, our best works, our best moments, will be two words, things received, or one word, grace. This doctrine frees us to live in community with others more or less talented than we are, and dare I say it, even celebrate the achievements of others. Brooms to sweep the floor. John the Baptist is such a good example for us. His disciples tempted him toward envy. Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. What is the first thing out of his mouth? A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. Let me share with you a poem I wrote a decade ago, meditating on this scene between John and his disciples. The disciples. Rabbi, I have news to tell. I'm afraid you will not take it well. Another brother has set sail to the man across the way. You said he'd take our sin away, but our brothers night and day? I wonder what you have to say should he now rise to reign. On the other shore, he now remains. Are both baptisms just the same? Is Baptist also in his name? We wait for your reply. John, a man cannot receive but from on high. The sandals I still dare not untie. My question for you is simply why are you still with me upon the shore? He who comes after me ranks before. I baptize with water, nothing more. I am but the broom to sweep the floor before the king comes in. Behold, the one of David's kin, the bridegroom with the bride to win, the lamb who takes away your sin and heals all your disease. He who buckles sinner's knees has not the spirit in degrees, the one to whom the Father's pleased in all creation hails. It's not as though the mission fails when the master over the slave prevails. All disciples, set your sails to the one across the way. You must increase, we must decrease. Our talents are given us for Christ. We are but brooms to sweep the floor before the King comes in. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.